All right, well, everybody, welcome to another episode of Searching for Grog. It's been a very long time. I think it's been over a year since the last time we recorded. Does that sound right to you guys? Yeah, probably. Yeah, definitely over a year. God, it feels like five. Yeah, I so, (laughs) well, I don't think it's been five, but (laughs) I, yeah, you know, in this interim, we were kind of, we were trying to think of different ideas that we might be able to tie this same kind of ideas that we did with the first season. And, you know, we pitched some ideas of other family mysteries and things like that. But actually, after I talked to people who listened to the show, nobody was really that interested in the in the mystery part of it. They were actually more interested in, first of all, the comments I got were about just that kind of camaraderie and the way that we kind of banter about, you know, st- stupid ideas and stuff. I think that was one thing that people liked. But also, one of the main comments that I got that I didn't expect was that they really liked the talk about actually video game history, in particular arcade game history, because it's kind of an untapped, uh, you know, res- I don't know, resource, but an untapped story. Um, I think there's a lot of like, you know, people archiving video games in general, but arcades is kind of a, more of a niche thing. And also, you know, the game obviously that we're talking about went under everybody's radar. So... That was one thing that I thought we could actually kind of extrapolate in further seasons, talk about other games that were kind of important to us um, and things that have a lot of our own family memories connected to them. So it doesn't necessarily have to have a mystery, I realized, that we have to unfold um, as long as we just kind of talk about a video game that was really important to us. And so for me, I know exactly what that game is. If you were to tell me, like, if you were to say arcade game to me, there's one thing that pops in my mind. I won't say what that is yet. But um, to talk about that for this season, I think we really need to bring on uh, a new host. So I want to introduce our cousin, who we talked about in season one quite a bit, but our cousin Evan, who is basically like a, a brother to us. So Evan, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey, glad to be here, guys. I'm uh, I'm Evan. I'm Adam and Brandon's younger cousin, Drew's uh, older cousin, so I'm kind of the the middle child. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, uh, so I was talking about this idea of a second season with Evan, and I think you listened to season one, right? I did, yeah. I had a great time. I I wasn't really, uh, I I wasn't there for any of the the events or the video game, but it was fun to kind of hear some of that and, and, and things I remembered sort of tangentially to it. And you definitely remember calling drew grog i do we also <laughs> called him bonk for a little bit who was another video game caveman oh, that's right so we weren't totally wrong when we went down the bonk path either yeah for sure i, I definitely remember that one i'm starting to sweat yeah. just like hearing that again and stressing me out <laughs> his it's like his repressed anger uh response is like kind of creeping back up that, right. that Bruce Banner thing is coming up. primal <laughs> thing is coming up at me. <laughs> I'm reaching for my club. This whole thing is really about us helping you process through your childhood trauma. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think we should do another season about that. I think just to kind of dig deeper into that, that whole bird's nest or wasp nest, I guess I should say. Yeah, each season we're actually going to add a family member until it's a full-blown intervention. (laughs) Season seven, we all have letters for you. Yeah, this is how you hurt me with your lack of anger management. (laughs) Yeah, the last season will be called How Grog Lost His Soul. That can't be the last one. That's that's coming down on a bummer note. It has to be How how Grog Got His Soul Back. So I have to ask, though, Adam, you're talking about the popularity of, you know, of the conversation about games and stuff. But how did mermaid sex come in under that? Like that, I think, would have been the big takeaway for a lot of people, because that was something I didn't know that I learned during season one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a very that was our most educational episode, probably. That was well, you know what? Without all joking aside, that was probably the most untapped story idea, I think, um, out of season one. I, I can say for without a doubt that I don't think any podcast has talked about mermaid sex in the same way that we have. Right. Now, hey, before we go too far down that road, okay. we do have now an educator on the podcast with us. So do we need to be like, you know, sensitive, Evan, given your you know position so we don't, 
you know, put you at risk for like losing your job? Uh, I don't think so. I think, uh, I think we'll be safe. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be anonymous. You can just call me. We'll beep out his name. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, guys, I mean, that mermaid sex, the goal behind that was obviously education. We were trying to educate the world about this sexual minority. Yeah. I mean, the kids are asking us questions either way. It's, it's whether or not we give them the, the route to process that information or, you know, repress it further. That's my argument, at least. Well, we know what happens when they repress it further, Norton. They become like you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's for season seven. Hold those thoughts. All right. Well, back to let's let's re- I'm going to try to rope you guys back into the conversation here a little bit. So when I talked about this idea with with Evan. Um, well, Evan, what do you remember what you said about like video games? What the you said something about like the, your three favorite games. Yeah. Uh, so for me, the the top three were for sure uh, the the Ninja Turtles uh, arcade game, um, Simpsons, the uh, the arcade game, and then uh, number one, I think X Men, the arcade game. Um, that was definitely uh, a standout uh, for us for a number of reasons. Yeah, exactly. And here's the amazing thing about those three games is that they were all made by Konami, one after another. So that that Ninja Turtles game came out in 1989, and then they followed up with Simpsons in 1991, and then in 1992 they came out with the X-Men arcade game. So these three games are not only like, I mean, it was like Konami was making games specifically for us, or at least our demographic, because those were just, that's what I think of when I think of arcade games from when we were kids. So, And Brandon, what about you? When you think about arcade games, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Yeah, um as soon as as soon as Evan said Simpsons, I hadn't thought about that for a really long time. I immediately remembered Bart slamming his skateboard. Like that's the image that came to my head. And Marge slamming her vacuum sweeper. Yeah. Hitting people with her butt. <laughs> yeah, that one was really good. Um X-Men is the one we dropped massive coin on, man. I loved that game. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, gosh, I don't, I'm trying to remember, I guess that we did play Ninja Turtles, but I don't remember playing that as much as Simpsons and X-Men. Oh, really? I definitely remember playing that a lot. Um, how cartoonish and over the top it was, you know, like you step on a spike and they jump around saying my toe, my toe. And you know, they fall down the sewer grate and their eyes pop out and stuff. And yeah, that's right. It was, it was very similar to like Battletoads, kind of like that slapstick humor. Yeah, I think the the probably the third one for me would be like Street Fighter. Okay. I liked Street Fighter even though I wasn't good at it. Dalsum. <laughs> yeah. So so and you know, there's kind of a age gap between us and 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 you Drew, but wh- mm-hmm. what about for you? What when you think about arcade games? Good question. Um I guess the game that comes to mind for me, and I think it might even be a Konami game, is Dance Dance Revolution was a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, w- I would love to imagine you playing that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, wasn't good at it but by, by any means, but it was a heck of a time. Um, besides that, no, I think, I mean, it, what's funny for me is when you talk about Simpsons, I think about the SNS, S-N-E-S game version of it. I don't think I ever played. I think it was Bart's Nightmare or something, but I didn't ever play the arcade version. You know, when I think about arcades, I think I went way back to classic, like Donkey Kong or, you know, like Contra or other real classic arcade games like that. But I didn't really have a generation where they were relevant for me. You know, so I was going back to those, those olden days. That's really interesting because I think that's something that I, kind of felt, but I wasn't sure if it was true or not, that we were maybe that last generation that actually went to arcades to play games because it kind of became irrelevant um, when we were like in high school or something, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, we had Nickel City, right? Like that was a big deal in San Jose, uh, which by mm-hmm. the way, I've heard now is some type of like strange Mediterranean Mediterranean restaurant, which made me really sad. But um hmm. So I have memories of going to the arcade game. It was F- or arcade and having a great time. But yeah, I don't think it was as culturally relevant 
for my age group. You know, it was something that you just did because it was different. It wasn't the thing to do. And I can imagine you probably didn't like want to go and try out the new machine and stuff like that, which is, that's something I kind of remember as a little kid, like us, you know, wanting to go out and try some machine that had come out and stuff like that, where right, that was, you know, I, yeah, I mean, obviously I had more of a appreciation for it having been more exposed to arcade games, you know, I won't give too much away, but obviously we had more of a personal relationship with arcades. And so like for me, I was more connected, but obviously my friends, I could never convince them to do that. Right. It was like, oh, well, some kids having a birthday party there. Well, damn, we'll go to Nickel City. But it took it took convincing for me to ever go. Well, you sh- have you heard the story about how Evan and I got kicked out of Nickel City? <laughs> <laughs> Only you got kicked out. <laughs> Was it just me? Was it just me? Yeah. So so when we were kids, um, Evan's mom, our Aunt Lindy, she used to drop us off there at Nickel City and we'd just hang out and she could do some shopping and stuff. And so she'd come and pick us up later on in the day. And it's, you know, you pay to get in and then everything is free. It's all, I mean, they have at least a free play section that's really big. So you could, without any money, you could spend the whole day there. So she would go and, you know, she would drop us off and then pick us up later in the day. And of course we didn't have phones to call or anything like that. And when we were in there, I found that there was a machine or I found a way that you could pull the tickets really slowly and carefully and you could just keep feeding them out uh, from the machines. And so I would, I was, you know, pulling all these tickets out that I hadn't won and the staff caught me and they kicked me out. But Brandon and Evan stayed inside still playing games and I had to just sit outside waiting for <laughs> our ride to come later on in the day. <laughs> oh, that's such shit. I don't even know how long I sat out there. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have a sign out there that said, don't tug on the tickets. What's what's the deal here? Well, it's a pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> they also didn't have a sign that says, don't steal money out of the register. But that's, that's what I'm saying. I think, I think it's, unless they explicitly call it out, then I think it's a fair game. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. It that's nothing compared to uh, my uh, Dave and Buster's Ponzi scheme, though, where he'd get like multiple playstations and stuff did you ever hear about that no oh man he had like an inside friend that worked there and so they would load his card up with dave and buster credits and he would just play games like endlessly and just go in and buy like you know all the nicest prizes and it was it made us look innocent just pulling our little tickets out so we could buy more Airheads, which to be fair, it's I mean, even if he was cheating the system, I feel like that would still be a feat in itself because the the price for even like a comb at those places is outrageous. It's like fifty thousand tickets, so I can't imagine the systems would be like they would be billions. Anyway, but you know, if it weren't for those arcades, nobody would buy those little plastic frogs with the tab on the back that you would push the back and it jumps. Like, that's yeah, right. when you're down to your last five tickets, like, oh, okay, give me a frog. <laughs> Shit, I'll get to take two frogs. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the that was like the market for those frogs. I think was like the Chuck E. Cheese bottom of the barrel bin. Like, yeah, you know, for me though, bro, uh, I I just would. For me, you know, I've I've never been like I probably out of all of us, I'm probably the least maybe game gamer kind of guy. Like the arcade for me was man, like when Nana would give us like a you know five dollar bill or something, we go and get all those quarters, and we just have this handful of quarters, and you're walking around like the Pismo arcade, and you're just so excited. You're like, what am I gonna win? Even if you ended up gravitating toward the same machines, the arcade, what's sad about it. And, you know, we were just in Pismo celebrating, uh, Nana and, you know, walking by that little place that, I don't, what's it now? A restaurant or something like that. Um, and, uh, like it's an experience that you don't get with video games anymore. It's the thing where all of us walk in as a big gang and, you know, we just kind of divide. And then the idea of standing, I think the reason X-Men was so cool or Ninja Turtles or Simpsons because we could all stand there together. And you're, it's like one of the few video games at that time where we could all play. You don't have to take turns. You know, you don't have to do a tournament system. You're all sitting there all together 
like playing together. And it's like, it's a whole experience that, uh, it makes me a little sad that that doesn't like, it's not, not a thing anymore. It's a good point. I feel like they've tried to replicate that quite a bit, you know, with multiplayer and things, but you just can't get that same feeling. Well, it's, it's what you're talking about. Like, you know, when people wax nostalgic about blockbuster video or, or, you know, brick and mortar bookstores and stuff, it's that idea that you don't even necessarily know what you want to play. You just go in there, walk around and look for something that grabs your attention and give it a try. And I think that's something that now, you know, unless you hear a lot about a game, people aren't willing to give a chance on something because you have to buy it. You know, mm-hmm. that's something on the app store, maybe that you might, if it's a free play, but yeah, I think that was something that really, you know, it was really, it was really um, a special kind of thing about playing in the arcade. And also like we talked about in the last season, the idea behind arcade games is very, very different from a console game because you have to grab their attention. Like they made it so that it would grab kids and bring them in. And then you have to keep it just hard enough so that they keep putting quarters in, but not so easy that, you know, they play for a long time on one quarter. It's, it's a whole different mindset about how to make that game fun. And, and, and I think, um, I'll get into this in a little bit once I introduce the game, but playing these on emulation is not fun at all for that specific reason. And, um, yeah, I'll get into that in a minute, but anyway, without further ado, let me just tell you what the game is. So I want to talk about that X-Men arcade game because Brandon, like you said, this is the one for me and I think for Evan, for you, that is just like, you know, the arcade machine that we all, that we must have put so much money into. Um, and I think that main thing is, like you said, everybody could play. Now, I don't remember if the one that we played on was four players, but I know that this one was the, one of the only games that I've ever seen that had six players as one of its standard settings. So you had a six-player version, a four-player version, and even a two-player version, but... But yeah, that the fact that you could have six different people all ganging up in a brawler type thing is just, even now when I think about it, is amazing. Yeah, and I think the other thing I remember too, like you are saying, you know, the game has to get your attention. The cabinet gets your attention too. I mean, that big purple machine and, you know, it was the perfect timing for, you know, us, we were super into X-Men the comics, we were super into the X-Men cartoon and the video game all tied in. I don't, I don't really even know which one came first for us. Um, and maybe it was different for each of us. Um, but like the con, you know, the big graphic on the side, um, you know, for me walking in there, it was like, you couldn't help but see that machine first. And um, even before you saw the gameplay or anything like that, but you know, just the size of it, the graphics on it, um, you really can't replicate that in any other setting. Yeah, very true. Bro, I have a question. Um, yep. As I'm thinking about this, like X-Men itself, like completely rocked my world. Like it captured my imagination more than anything that I can remember in my childhood. Like imagining being Cyclops, you know, or like us running around <laughs> with our shirts off pretending to be Gambit with a deck of cards. Do you remember that? <laughs> and we would, we would chuck decks of cards at each other and like slice each other open. Like it was like, God about that. God, it was like the most amazing. It was the most amazing thing. It, like which came first? Was it the, so I remember reading comic books and then I remember, um, you know, watching the cartoon. And then the game, it was like this, like, Super trifecta. Which one came first? I can't remember. Actually, actually, it was none of those. The very first thing that we saw were the trading cards. So, oh yeah, oh, I remember the, those were so badass. Yeah. So we were living in those apartments in Minnesota, and uh, Chris <laughs> Johnson, our little, our friend, he had the trading cards, and he showed them to us, and they looked so cool, and every character was was unique, and there was a million characters, and then he called us. I remember him. Either I think he called us and told us to come to his house because it was the TV show was playing, and then that intro. That still gets my heart racing if I watch that intro. Oh yeah, to that show. I think they're rebooting it's, that show. 
Are you serious? I think uh, on Disney Plus, I think there's a reboot of that. Oh my god! Um, but yeah, I, I remember yeah. those cards. I, I, that was like a a long repressed memory. I never thought about those, but uh, I remember you could you know put like nine on a page, and sometimes the one card, if you put it next to the other one in the sequence, they're you know together they'd make a picture. You'd, there'd be some overlap between them. Um, yeah, those things look those things looked killer. Those were you know amazing back in the day. And the weird powers that all the all the, the they're like the the whole X Men universe had like it's just there's so many crazy um, different powers that like you never heard about in the show or anything you know. Yeah, 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 and and they're all kind of weird and nebulous, and the way that they are all related to each other is kind of like a soap opera, you know. Um, I remember like finding things out like oh wait Juggernaut is is Professor X's half-brother and Mystique is somehow Nightcrawler's mom, even though she looks young and hot and like all this kind of weird stuff like that. Um, but anyway, yeah, so definitely it went from the cards to the show and then from that to the comic books because that's that's the only reason I ever started buying comic books is I was so into the show and everything. And I remember us, this is another one of those cross-country trips that we were taking from Iowa out to California. I stopped at a random truck stop I saw an episode, I mean, uh, an issue of X-Men. I still remember it now, exactly which one it was. Um, and I bought it and I just read it over and over and over on that trip out. And when we came back, like it was all beaten up by the time we got back. I still have it somewhere. But that was what got me to buy comic books in the first place was that. And this is in that period of, of X-Men when the writers were just like, it was all world building. They were just making hundreds and hundreds of characters that were all somewhat related to each other. You know, there was, it was like X force and X factor and Excalibur as these little spin-off teams and all the other kind of stuff. So yeah, we were like right in that perfect age, I think to be like super into X-Men. Um, Drew, did you, did any of that fall back your way or were you too little for that? I guess I must've been too little. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here Googling what the trading cards look like and I have some small tip of recollection, but not really. Were you guys cool enough to have the holographics? Like the four oh, yeah. that they had? Oh, sometimes. Holy sometimes, shit. yeah. I mean, you got to remember when Adam and I were, when Adam and I were starting to collect these, like mom and dad had zero money. <laughs> <laughs> so that's very true but if we could get our hands on these it was a miracle <laughs> you also have to think brandon like we were into the idea of trading cards in general so much at that time because like we had we would buy all the tops baseball cards um and then we even had like the desert storm trading cards from like the, <laughs> from, like, the war <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> yeah i forgot, yeah, I forgot about those. yeah yeah totally Let's make war cool. <laughs> yeah, that's so weird. That's so American to like buy trading cards of Desert Storm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh man, yeah. I got another Saddam. <laughs> <laughs> Want to trade? <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, the X Men cards had they 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 looked very similar to that to the ending credits of the X Men TV show when the the characters you see like the 3D models kind of spinning around and it shows their stats that was what everybody was into was the the backs of the cards had their stats and what their yeah you know, like agility and like all the different ratings and stuff like that and then also it had their it had what their profession was which was really weird um <laughs> because like 90% of them were like adventurer <laughs> it was like what is that job <laughs> Well, yeah, we're kind of getting into the into the reads a little bit anyway. But um, so this X-Men arcade game, yeah, obviously it was huge for us, for the three of us. And, and Drew, I think it was different for you. Um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit too. But mm -hmm. just how we first encountered this game, I think we all remember it the same. I think the first time that I ever played it would have been that arcade in Pismo. And I think it was like a two-story arcade. Yeah, I kind of remember that going up going up the stairs because it was kind of a, a narrow, uh, a narrow little spot. Um, there weren't like a ton of games in there, but yeah, I was looking, 
I was trying to find what the name of that place was because I remember it having some name like King Triton's Den or something like something weird like that. I think it had like a nautical name, but it's, like you said, it's gone now. I, I don't know what it is now, but that's definitely what I remember like encountering this game. And I just here's what I remember about the game, and you guys can fill in any details, but I just remember it was so addictive because you could get you could get so far on a quarter and you know you would eventually die but you knew if you just had one more quarter you could beat that boss and get to the next stage and we were so obsessed with trying to get to the end and to beat magneto and so we just kept pumping in quarters and of course you know we had our enabler of a grandmother with us so she would just keep <laughs> she'd be like okay and she would go and you know put another five dollar bill in the changer and you'd hear the and 20 quarters come crashing down <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, that, that memory of just like feeding that machine and really, really trying to get to the end. And I don't remember if we ever, I think we did get to the end once. I don't remember. I don't remember that. Um, which tells you too, like it was, it was definitely more about the experience and the, the thrill of the chase. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I don't remember if we ever did get to the end. Um, but I, de- I, I know we definitely got to that last stage where you basically have to beat all the bosses again, mm-hmm. um, and that that's like a total quarter killer because you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you like basically have to redo everything you just spent like five bucks doing. You have to beat all those guys again. And do you guys remember? There's a scene where you actually fight Magneto, and Magneto dies, and it turns out it was actually Mystique. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> It's like the, it's like the biggest sucker punch to little kids. They're like, I did it. I did it. And then she's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. So, um, there's, yeah, there's some definite like things that really pop out about this game. Things that I think, uh, everybody who played it will remember some classic lines. What, what are the classic lines that you guys remember <laughs> from this game? <laughs> Nothing beat nothing nothing beat nothing beats the blob. <laughs> That's what I remember. Like as yeah. soon as he starts talking, you knock him back down, and he keeps trying. He, he's like so so dead set on getting that thought out. Uh, and I remember when I was just say, "Well, welcome to die." Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Classic. Oh, that's a good X Men. Welcome to die. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the probably the number one line that everybody remembers from that game. Um, but yeah, there's some other weird ones. Um, I remember every every character, you know, Pyro will tear you to toast. Which, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> oh and uh, and Wendigo. Yeah. Oh Wendigo. Yeah. yeah. That one took me back. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's some really good lines in that. Um, and who who was your character? Who did you always play as? Uh, I I don't even remember. I remember liking um. I remember liking Nightcrawler. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know if that was the one I normally played with. Uh, Colossus. Um, and maybe even, uh, was it Dazzler? Or Yeah. I, I, yeah. For me, I always liked the ones, like my, those, wouldn't, uh, Dazzler for sure would not have been my favorite character, but I liked when their special moves were would move in all directions and kind of like blow up the screen and you didn't have to yep. be super accurate with it. I think there's a couple where it's like they shoot something straight ahead or they, they do some move to whatever's right in front of them. But you know, Colossus fills up the whole screen with a giant explosion and kills everything in sight. So I remember liking yeah. those guys that you didn't, you know, would mess you up when you're totally surrounded. I'm exactly the same. I, I, I cause the thing about this game is, you know, when you use a mutant power, it takes out a bunch of your life. And so I tried my best never to use it, but I saved it for those moments when you're totally surrounded on all sides. And so, yeah, exactly. It's it's Dazzler and Colossus are the two that just do the most damage in, in a focused area. So, so, so there's are there six playable characters? 
Yeah, so there's Storm, which I don't think anybody ever chose. Yeah. yeah. She had like a, a tornado, right? Yeah. But it would shoot straight ahead. So that's the same one. Like someone's attacking you from both sides. She's not going to do a whole lot of good. And wasn't it a delay? Wasn't there always a delay when, when you would try to do something with Storm? Like I feel like you had to you had to wait for the weather to like rumble before it would actually attack. So she wasn't very useful. That sounds about right. Yeah, so definitely Cyclops and Wolverine and Storm all had those straight ahead attacks where they just shoot something in front of them. Um and then yeah, I think Dazzler and Colossus had the kind of more focused attacks, and then Nightcrawler just zipped around the screen in a weird zigzag pattern, so his was the most unpredictable whether it hit or not. So Gambit wasn't in the game. No. Huh. But and yeah. it's so weird that it wasn't in the game because his the the attack that Dazzler did is much more of a Gambit attack. It's not really at all what Dazzler does in the comic books and, and TV shows. <laughs> but but there's a reason for that, which we'll get into in other episodes. I've done a bit of research about why that particular lineup is there and why they look the way they do, because they look a little bit different than the X-Men do from other uh incarnations of that time. But um, yeah, so I and I think we would be remiss if we didn't say at this point, I think for all of us, one of our favorite characters was Colossus and not only because of his attack, but also because of that famous, not a line, but the sound effect that he made when he, when he did that, this Colossus roar. About this Colossus roar. Here's the thing that I kind of wanted to tease out in this show. Now, we don't have a mystery. We don't have like a family mystery to unravel. But what we do have is, you know, when I started doing research about this game, I looked at the credits first and there's nobody credited for uh, most of the voices. And so there's not really it's not really clear who did this Colossus roar, at least in there's no paper trail of it that I could find yet. So I was thinking it might be really cool if we can somehow track down who did this Colossus roar and as impossible as this might be, actually get a fresh one on the show, like a raw Colossus roar. Are you going to have a roar off with this guy? (laughs) (laughs) The whole point is to bring him on and shame him. I got a Colossus Roar that beats yours. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know, because it's it's really weird. So the thing about these Konami games is that The Simpsons and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and X-Men are three properties that were never really that popular in Japan in the first place. So they were totally made for the U.S. market, even though they were made by a Japanese company. So I would guess a lot of the voice talent was outsourced or... Maybe they had like a localization team or something like that. We can look into that. But I think, for example, Ninja Turtles was called like Super Turtle Ninjas or something like that. And in Europe, it was called Mutant Hero Turtles or something like that because they couldn't use the word ninja. It was like a uh, there was a period in in especially in the UK where ninjas was kind of like a a bad word to use on TV or something because it would make kids violent. So, huh. So I think think as just sort of a very very like low-key background mission i'm gonna try to find who made this colossus roar but for the most part i just want to this season talk about this game kind of share some memories and then actually dig into it and you know talk about the history of this game and if it's possible maybe we can get some interviews with the creators of the game as well like we did with trog oh that'd be awesome that'd be yeah, that'd be really cool Now, obviously, they're all going to be Japanese, so it's going to be a lot of translation on my part, but but uh, I'm willing to do it. So I'm doing Duolingo. I got this. (laughs) (laughs) I'll open I'll open uh, Google Translate and let it do everything. Yeah, we're good. (laughs) That would be a really good test of Google Translate's like new, you know, uh, AI chip is just do a whole podcast where we rely on that entirely for all of the <laughs> interviews. Yeah, that would be good. Maybe terrible to listen to, but fun for us. So um, while we're talking about the memories and stuff like that, we should say that we actually owned this game at one point, right? So mm-hmm. Evan, you were the one I think who actually arranged that. Can you talk a little bit about whatever you remember about how we got this game? Uh, Yeah, I remember... I don't really remember 
how we found it. It might have been an, an eBay purchase, I'm guessing, in, in sort of the early days of eBay. Um, I don't know why we had that idea. I don't know if we set out to search to see if that cabinet was around, or if we were just looking for X-Men stuff and saw the cabinet and uh, and then went to uh, to my parents and Nana and started begging, um, putting on our Christmas list. But, um, but I, that's kind of what I remember. I think it was, I think we found it online. I don't think we would have known what to, you know, we would have been navigating newspapers or, you know, uh, or talking to people in person. So I think it was, you know, looking for stuff online. Um, I don't know. Do you remember, were we searching it out or, uh, did we just kind of come across it and, and then realize that it was something you could buy? Because um, I, I don't know if I would have immediately thought of even purchasing something like that. The way that I remember it was that you found the listing on eBay, and this would have been like Web 1.0. This was, you know, 1999 or something like that, I think, when, when we would have bought it, maybe 2000. But yeah, I remember you finding the listing and buying it, and I think you went to pick it up or because I don't can't imagine we paid shipping for that thing. It must have been some a local listing. Yeah, I think it was local. I think uh I think we picked it up. I think it was like a joint Christmas gift from my parents and from Nana, something like that. Um mm. and uh yeah, I think we I think it was local. I don't it definitely didn't ship something like that across country. Cuz I also remember the price not being like uh some crazy number I, I i don't think i could tell you how much it was but i know it wasn't like thousands and thousands of dollars um you know i think in the in the ballpark of maybe two to four hundred kind of dollars you could probably yeah. look on an on an old ebay account couldn't you that's true i have a memory i don't know if maybe this i'm conflating things but i have a memory of like a arcade at a mall going out of business and maybe this was after we'd already bought the X-Men machine, but like that's how I assumed you guys got it was that a store or like an arcade had gone out of business and they were just liquidating all of their assets and someone realized, oh wait, they might have X-Men and then like went to like a Nickel City or whatever it was in East, like an East, oh God, what's that mall? Eastridge. Eastridge maybe. They had closed and they were doing like 50% off arcade machines and someone thought, you know what, let's just have the conversation and then like it ended up at our house. That's how I assumed it happened, but maybe I'm way off. I think you're way off. I think that that's <laughs> a really a constructed memory. Um, huh. I'm, I'm almost sure that it was an eBay listing and I'm almost sure I have this vague memory of Evan, you and your dad driving out to pick it up in your truck or like a U-Haul, um, renting a U-Haul and going and picking it up somewhere in like Sacramento or like Vallejo or someplace like that picking it up and bringing it back because that was kind of like why it was so cheap. I think it was like, I remember it being what you said about 300 or $400 and it would have been the same to, to ship it over. So you guys ended up driving over and picking it up. That's how I remember it. But yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember actually driving, but that sounds, that sounds like the most likely scenario. So that arcade machine sat at your house for a, for a few years, I think, in your backyard, as I recall. Yeah, we had it on that uh, on the side of the house under that little, uh, there was like a little covering over it. Uh, and we had it set up back there for, yeah, for a while, definitely for a year or two at least. And then somehow it ended up over at our house, and I don't remember how that happened, but it ended up in my parents' garage when they lived over in South San Jose. And I don't remember how that transition came about either. Yeah, I don't remember that either. Um, I don't know if it was out of necessity, if it was just was going to get more use over there. Um, because it was definitely one of those things, too, where for a number of reasons, you find out it's a lot of the fun of that kind of game is playing it with everybody. Um, yeah. And so, you know, at your guy's house, you would have had uh, you, Brandon, and uh, Drew, although he would have been pretty young, but still able to kind of jump in. Um, and then if I went over, you know, we can all kind of all play together. Um, but it's not something you would, you would really just go and play on your own um, yeah. for any sort of extended period of time, because, you know, 
it, the fun of it is having multiple people and 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 doing it all together. Well, also, you know, we we had it on free play, or we didn't have it on free play so much as we had the the front money latch unlocked, so you could reach in and and flick the little the little switch yeah. that would register a quarter. And when you have it on free play, it also takes away the fun of it because there's no risk anymore. There's no loss. You know, you just keep setting yourself up. And I think that's why these games are different than console games is because there is no game over. You just, as long as you click that thing, you can have endless lives. So mm-hmm. it sort of takes the fun out in that way as well. Um, But yeah, so this is where, Drew, I think your memories of the game would start coming into play because you probably remember it being something that we had in our house. Absolutely. It was a, a thing to show off to people for me. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to pick your brain about because... You know, we bought this game when I would have been probably a senior in high school, and I remember playing it a lot that year and the year after I graduated, and the summer after I graduated. But then I went off to school in LA and it sat in our garage. And I think that's when you would have been playing it and showing it to your friends and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I've heard some kind of funny stories from our sister Katie about this, but can you tell me like, what, what do you remember about having it at our house? I just I remember being super fascinated by it. I mean, at that time, I was already really into gaming. Um, you know, we were playing Worms at that time, and I was inventing things like Prison Liver, uh, and so I was I was eager to to try anything new. And so having the arcade game in the in the garage was really cool. I mean, having friends come over and people would be amazed. Whoa, where'd you get this arcade machine? Which again, I must have been telling incorrect stories all along thinking I got it from a discount arcade store but uh, <laughs> but but it was a uh, it was just a really cool cool thing I mean I agree with you that there wasn't an element of of like any competitive element because you know you popped in as many quarters as you needed to finish the game but it was more of just having an arcade machine at your you know discretion like just getting to play it at any point not having to go someplace for it just in your garage was a really cool concept for me at that time well let me let me go off on two points from what you said number one i don't think anybody who's listening to this show is going to know what you mean when you say prison liver (laughs) yeah yeah oh they'll get it i should i should definitely clarify that that means a person who lives in prison right a liver of a liver of we're not talking about Uh, (laughs) organs bodily organs of any sort just like a Hannibal Lecter yeah. situation. <laughs> but I, I definitely would not uh, fault anybody for having that assumption because my first assumption when I saw your team name in Worms, all your characters, and I saw Prison Liver, I was like, what is that? And I initially <laughs> thought it must be a prison, like a liver. <laughs> I remember I remember being there and we, we were like dissecting them all and trying to figure that one out and i don't know who came up with it but it kind of clicked we're like oh he means a guy who lives in prison <laughs> no no it's like it's like a, it's a guy that's been in prison so long that that's all that's left of him <laughs> that's that's definitely was your uh eight-year-old attempt at remembering the word prisoner right here's yeah here's what i like about that idea what I like about this is that you obviously knew that if you add ER to a verb, it makes it into the person doing that, like a, a, a liver, but you couldn't connect that to like a prison. <laughs> that, I think that should be season three is finding that, that worm CD and, and oh going through that gosh, whole name because I remember prison liver and I remember chain stick. Chain stick. was yeah. another one we were trying to figure out. like Which was supposed to be a morning star, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Like those weapons. Totally, totally that. Um, God, I wish I could remember the other names. Yeah, so that's that's the that's the family mystery we'll solve next season is finding that full <laughs> list of names of the tough uh, characters he created. Yeah, hold on, folks, you'll you'll get resolve. <laughs> Those were very oh tough. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so the second thing I wanted to go off is that you know mm-hmm. you said just now that obviously that there wasn't any kind of competitive edge because you could just restart, but from what I heard from Katie, our sister, is that she actually charged her friends to p- play this game. <laughs> we be like, look at this awesome arcade machine that we have. Come play it. So you just have to stick your quarters in, you know, and and then keep the quarters. But 
damn, where's my cut? I didn't. I wasn't that soulless. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, she told them that she didn't have the key to open it, and then she would make them pay to play, and then she would keep their quarters. <laughs> so. <laughs> We used to trick all of our friends into putting quarters in, but we had a key or, or either we had a key or it didn't lock. So we would just steal our friends money and make them pay to play it. I'm absolutely, yeah, I'm very curious about that because I don't think we have any friends that would have come with a pocket full of quarters anyway. So where would they have gotten the money except for maybe from our parents? So she was just stealing Hmm. from mom, dad. (laughs) But, you know, dad was always giving kids rides home and stuff like that anyway, so... They probably just got to spend their their money on video games instead. So it's a win-win if you ask me. Yeah, yeah. Well, got to yeah. get your money somehow. I don't have any memory of, uh, of you know, of charging my friends. I just remember going out with, you know, like my high school buddies and uh, playing for like hours. I guess they would have been junior high at that time. Um, but it was just, it was just a fun thing to do as a group. But uh, yeah, I never, I never charged anybody. I don't know why Drew doesn't remember that. I think he just has a faulty memory because he, I also think he likes to block out the part of our childhood where we were assholes. Because <laughs> we definitely had a good chunk, especially in the middle school years where we were trying to figure out where we were and our place in life. We were definitely some assholes. Well, I, I definitely have some memories of that game playing that game with friends. Um, and when I did some, I was looking through an old hard drive to see pictures from that time. And I have on two separate occasions, I have pictures of people playing that game. Um, one was just me and my friends from high school playing it the summer after we graduated. But the other one is when the band Ginnam boys, the, you know, Japanese punk band, when they came out to hang out with us in California, we were living at that house in Campbell, Brandon and I were, and we had the X-Men arcade game in our garage there in Campbell. And so after we had a big show in San Jose, they came back and stayed the night at our house in Campbell. And I have pictures of us playing that game in the garage. So that it's a really, it has some really special memories attached to, to it for me, for sure. Um, even as an adult. That actually connects dots for me because I was just trying to remember where the heck that thing went at our house, but it must have left our garage to yours. And mm-hmm. then did you guys just sell it after? Yes. So mm-hmm. that I remember for sure. I put an ad out on Craigslist for it and a guy made an offer. I think I was selling it for like 200 bucks and a guy made an offer and he's like, you know, I'll pay 250 if you just hold it for me and I'll come right now. And then another guy made an offer for even more, but the first guy, uh, you know, he was already on his way. And so I told the second guy, I'm sorry. Like, I think the second guy was like offering 400 bucks maybe. Shit. And I said, I'm sorry, I'm already holding it for somebody else. And when the guy arrived, it was him and like his two sons and they were both like 10 years old and they looked so like just absolutely excited do you remember this brandon no not at all yeah they showed up they drove all the way from like modesto or something like that really far over to our house and these kids were just like their eyes were just like popping out of their heads they were so excited and they put it up on the truck and like they didn't even have like ties to tie it down so the dad is driving and the sons are in the back holding them in the car oh, holding jeez <laughs> And I'm like, you guys are going to drive back to Modesto like this? And he's like, yeah, we'll go slow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Helps. But, but it definitely, like, it made it so worthwhile that I held it for them because I knew that they were going to play this game and they were going to love it, you know. Yeah. And, and it kind of reminded me of, of, of us as, ten, you know, at 10 years old playing that game and being so into it. So I was really excited that it went to the right people. That's awesome. Can you, can you find receipts of that? interaction and then locate the original arcade machine is that a possibility so i have gone down this track as you know that i would yes and your um, slick your slick 047 uh email account well so yeah i looked up first of all my old craigslist accounts and back in those days and probably now still too you didn't have to have an account you could just post it ah damn you know without anything um but you would have 
if you did register with an email address, then it would send you the when when you got hits on your on your uh, posting. And so I couldn't find that. I went and looked up the old email address that I was using at that time, but it was either my work address when I was working at the title company, or it was a Yahoo address. And when I opened up my Yahoo address, I hadn't opened it up in 10 years, so they wiped it. So I can still get in, but but all the emails have been wiped. And so, um, yeah, I wasn't able to find anything like that. Now, here's the one thing that I could do if I'm willing to just sit and scrape forever is if you use the Wayback Machine, um, you know, the Internet Archive, you can actually look up every post on Craigslist between certain eras, you know, like certain years and stuff. But it would require me like going through everything every day for that period of time. So, yeah, unless you had a, a pretty good date narrowed down that would be real tough god that'd be awful but what sorry anyway well here's what i have i have the i have an email of the resignation i sent to my boss at the time um when i was quitting to move to japan because i we sold it when i moved to japan okay so and i was working at hudson at the time so i i definitely have the email that i sent when i resigned so i know kind of the time frame of when I would have been moving. But yeah, it's still going to be really hard to find that particular post. And even if I find it, I don't know if I can find the comments and stuff of people who said they wanted it. So, right. Yeah. That probably would have been done as a direct email to you. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, what am I going to do? Going to call them up and be like, Hey homie, I want my machine back. I mean, honestly, those kids were 10 at the time, so they'd be like 30. At least 30, yeah. (laughs) So. It's probably passed passed through them, changed hands a couple times since then, at least. Probably, probably. For all we know, they're doing a podcast on you. They're trying to find the guy that sold the arcade machine to them. (laughs) That's how I find it. I just go and subscribe to every podcast about games. There you go. Um, Brandon, what do you remember about that particular, that machine that we owned? Do you have any memories of that? I just remember that I didn't, I didn't take advantage of the, of it being our, like, I think we played it. Uh, yeah. I think we played it like a couple times altogether, but, um, I just remember seeing it out. I don't, I, don't, I barely even remember it being in our garage. I remember it being in our parents' garage more and going out there and, I was always worried that Katie and Drew were going to mess with stuff and somehow break off a, you know, a button or something. Oh, we absolutely did. But yeah. <laughs> did you? You broke it? No, but we were apparently running a whole racket inside the garage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that figured it was going to go the way of my rollerblades. Oh, yeah. Which was that you guys would use and abuse them. Yeah. Sorry about that. Now, I think that we had that even maybe as early as our house over on the east side because when if you remember there was a little there was a period there where Grandpa Mario was living in our garage uh-huh. and I seem to remember he had his little his little room set up where he was sleeping and stuff and I remember that machine being right next door or huh. right next to where he was. I so yeah. huh. it may have only been at your house for a few months there, Evan. Yeah, I don't I don't remember that timeline. Um Yeah, we may have moved it um not too not too long afterwards. We may have moved it around. I don't have any memory of it being at Saddlewood, but maybe I might have been too young at that time. I don't either. Eight or nine. Okay, that could be a constructive memory. Cause grand, grandpa lived with us at Kaitis Huerte for a little while. I oh, he did. No, he only lived yeah. with us in Saddlewood, and then with no, his, he like, he lived with us at Kai- He lived with the- no, he lived with us at the Kaidi Switcher because we would go to El Pollo Loco there on Camden all the time. He oh, slept God. down in the basement. It wasn't very long, but oh wow! And then he moved in with uh, then he moved in with your parents, Ev. I think. Well, just to add to context here, I know that I would have been living in that same basement. I didn't have a bedroom in that house for like five years. So, did we just like snuggle up together? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. 
Yeah, those are your feral years. Feral. Those are like <laughs> uh, those are the years where there was no absolutely no parental control over you at all. And I it's weird because I think about that now. My son is, you know, my youngest son is uh, almost 10. And so he would have been he's about the age that you would have been. And yeah. I remember very clearly coming home from college. We don't, we don't have to tell the story. And it was story. like 3 <laughs> God. Go ahead. Well, yeah, it was it was like three in the morning. I didn't want to ring the doorbell because it would wake mom and dad up, but they didn't, you know, normally they left the door open for me, but it was locked. And I didn't want to ring the doorbell and wake everybody up because it was so late. And I just saw this like ambient light coming from the basement. And because there was a little, there was a little storm well that you could climb down and there was a window there. So I saw light coming from there. So I climbed down and I looked in and at three in the morning, this 10 year old drew is sitting there playing video games and drinking balls soda um, <laughs> or, or, or Mountain Dew code red or something like that. And like, you know, go into town on your uh, GameCube. So yeah, I was just like, there was no parental control over you at all. You had a fridge in your room. You had a TV that you could yeah, watch whatever you right. wanted and you were just staying up, no bedtime, you know, Probably Dude. not going to school. I have no idea. Yeah, no, life was great. It was we had like, like a projector room down there at one point. It was very temperate because it was below ground. Oh, dude, I was living. It was like, um, <laughs> it was very similar to that little island that they go to on Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how to describe it. <laughs> I had a stogie in my mouth. I was unaware that I was slowly turning into a donkey. <laughs> little little Lampwick Norton. <laughs> And that probably would have been the time of like Adult Swim, yeah, uh, and uh, kind of like the birth of that. And Norton just was so into it. I remember. Oh, that's absolutely. Well, it yeah. was also the it was the birth of Toonami, and he was totally into watching those. The first wave of Dragon Ball Z, like animation, yeah, Dragon yeah. Ball Z, and and Rurouni Kenshin, and all that stuff that came over at that time. So. Oh, um, but, but Evan's right. I mean, I think if I were up that late, I definitely was watching some weird shit on Adult Swim, you know, like uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force or whatever else was on at that time. Brack. Brack. Oh, my God. <laughs> Space Ghost. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so that kind of that's obviously this is a game that has it's very, very near and dear to our hearts. We have a lot of memories connected to it. and. So hopefully in the next few episodes, what I want to do is kind of tell you things that you maybe didn't know about the game and we can kind of dig into it some more. Um, maybe we can pull out some more memories that we that we have about it. But uh, for now, obviously, this is, you know, a really, really it has a huge imprint on all of our psyches, I think, in different ways, especially hearing about, you know, you, Drew, seeing this uh, kind of from a different perspective. So. Yeah, I'm super curious what you guys will remember. It's it's reminded me a lot of what I forgot already, so I want to hear more stories as we go along. Well, I'm I'm both pleased and disappointed that uh Evan, your memory is about the same as ours. I thought maybe you'd have a a little bit better recall of some of the events, but it seems to be just as as fuzzy or maybe perhaps more fuzzy. Than yeah, it's yeah, I the specifics. I'm usually decent with some of those remembering some of that stuff but the specifics around it are, are pretty lost i'll have to uh do a little research and ask around a little bit and see who else remembers that time frame better because i i can like i can see myself in the space <laughs> like i remember exactly where it was i remember uh standing and there was like some there was like a little brick area and then gravel around that like i remember the the physical experience around it, but I don't remember the details and the, the logistics of it. Um, it's kind of interesting. That actually goes back to what we talked about in season one, though, is that arcade machines, more than anything else, they have a very, very kind of tangible memory, like a, a very a sense of space and time connected to them when you play them. Because if you talked about Mario, I wouldn't, when I think about Mario, I don't think about a specific place and time, but if I think about arcade games, I remember exactly where I played them and who I was with, you know, so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was going to add in something I just learned about the uh, original Mario on the original Nintendo system. I guess you all along 
it was built into the original firmware that you could start from the level that you like died on permanently by holding the select and B button apparently. I saw that blowing up on Instagram and I was like, who didn't know that, man? We all knew that. You like, did? Yeah. The buttons, you oh, can, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. I was doing it the hard way all along, like uh, some kind of gauntlet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I didn't mean to detract. I just, I was blown away by that, by that tidbit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, that was definitely like, I remember that for sure because uh, there were no continues, but there was like a sort of secret way to continue. Yeah. I want to know more about how that type of information would have been like disseminated back in that day. Like, did you have a magazine you're reading? Do you talk to your, like, how did someone figure that out? There wasn't necessarily a game forum. So here's, what's crazy about that time is, um, yeah, it was all word of mouth. Like you'd talk about, talk about it to your friends at school. But the thing about that, that's really crazy about that is like, when you think about that first Zelda game that came out, it's it's crazy hard and there's no explanation at all. So I don't know how much you guys have played that game. There's one part of the game where you have to use the candle to burn a certain tree in this forest full of trees on one of the multiple screens that there are. And that opens up this door to go down into this dungeon. And if you don't know that, you can't proceed to that part of the game. And first of all, there's no explanation that a candle can even burn a tree. They yeah. give you a candle... And it's supposed to be to light your way in a dark dungeon, but mm -hmm. you can also use it to burn trees. And there's some screens that have hundreds of trees. And if you burn down the right one, it gives you this thing. And so when I played that later as an adult, I was like, how in the hell would any of any kid ever have discovered this? But when I read about like interviews with Miyamoto Shigeru, when he was talking about that, he was like, he was like, don't worry, kids will talk about it at school. They'll tell each other how it's done. And like wow. he believed in that. It was like the ultimate trust the system kind of thing. He was like, just yeah. trust me. They're going to figure it out. And they did. And it's yeah. that's crazy to me that they had that kind of trust, first of all, in him and that they yeah. had that kind of trust in the game and the, and the, and the audience. So, but yeah. Well, well there was also that, um, Nintendo Power magazine was that huge. That was going to be my assumption was like, yeah. well, just give it to him in Nintendo Power to get a couple extra dollars out of him. And then, you know, some of the games, and that might have been a little... This, these were probably coming a little bit later than that too. Some of the games, there'd be like a whole book yeah. of, you know, you'd buy like this separate book and, you know, you could through. get all the secrets and you'd see all the maps and where all the different potions are in the secret areas. Mm -hmm. um, and then I never used it, but there was also a hotline you could call mm -hmm. and you'd call oh, like yeah. a Nintendo hotline and it was, you know, for like, that's eight bucks right. a minute someone would talk you through the level you were stuck on and i don't i don't <laughs> think right. i ever used it but i know there was you could like call in and get help with games dude that that would actually be fun to to look into like who who was on the other side of that phone call you know like <laughs> i know there's a documentary would, out there somewhere i think I one of them was um i think one of them was uh fred savage from the wizard <laughs> 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 what were you saying drew Nothing. I just I, I remember seeing this on a uh, documentary. So maybe if you get a minute, I think it's on Netflix or something. Oh God, is it the King of Kong? Is that what it is? There's a documentary about. No, not King of Kong. I think it's the video. The series called Video Games or like the games that made us or something like that. One of those games on Netflix. One of those things on Netflix. They do talk about the the hotline. But yeah, yeah, yeah. If you know, if we had ever used the Nintendo Hotline, we would have been raked over the coals by our parents for sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you couldn't afford X Men <laughs> trading cards, then <laughs> this phone line was out of the question. Yeah, we couldn't afford food. No. <laughs> Save it for season seven. <laughs> That's when all the truths come out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, that's a good point, I think, to stop here. And then I think the next episode, I'm going to give you guys some history about how this game came to be and some of this uh, sort of trivia um, about the game. So have you have that to look forward to. Sweet. Cool. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. All right, guys. Well, see you next season. And everybody, thank you for listening to the first episode of season two of Searching for Grog. And now it's actually Searching for Colossus Roar. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Searching for Grog, 
a podcast about fuzzy memories, family mysteries, and the video games that tie them all together. Special thanks for this episode go out to Catherine Passion for setting the record straight on Drew's criminal past. Our music is by Captive Portal. This episode, and everything that we do, is dedicated to the memory of our one and only Nana Barb and our favorite cousin, Alyssa Gunn Maldonado. Thank you so much for the joy that you brought to all of our lives.